for giving me this opportunity to be here with you to share with this Torah learning amazing program that you have. It's a tremendous Hashem. The truth is, you were all role models for many cities how to spread Torah and touch so many people's lives throughout the community. And I just want to wish the Berkowitz, the St. Louis Kolel, the Senior Kolel, Rabbi Nitsen, hire a good Kolel uh, organization. You should have many years of Rafa and Atzlapa for many, many more years to come. Amen. We lie. Okay. So Rabbi Berkowitz asked me to speak about Hanukkah. And when you think about Hanukkah, there's a lot of different areas that you can yeah. touch upon. There's so many beautiful, beautiful different Torah associated with Hanukkah. But I kept coming back to this idea of a senior kolel. And I kept just thinking about how special it is that even such an institution exists. And I thought I would use the kolel as the inspiration for my remarks and why I believe that what is occurring here in this organization is not a small act, but actually this is a powerful force, not just for University City, but the entire St. Louis, and in fact, the entire world. So for those of you who know that on Hanukkah, during the week, we're going to lane every morning when we read the portion of the Torah that talks about the Nisim. The Nisim, the princes, the leaders of each shevet, of each tribe, that brought their tribute to the Mishkan. When the Mishkan was first built, we know there were 12 days of inauguration, and every day the tribe sent their Nasi, their leader, to bring the, these gifts to Hashem, which would eventually commence the beginning of the work in the Mishkan, the service in the desert. So every day on Hanukkah, we read about the number of the tribes and the gifts that they brought. And then on the eighth day of Hanukkah, we finish up the Nesim that we did not finish. And in the last few Sukkim, we begin to talk about the beginning of Parshas Baalosha, where Aaron Akoe and Aaron the high priest, he had the commandment to kindle to light the menorah. We know that lighting the flames, the menorah, in the Mishkan, in the Mishkan, that was Aaron Akoe and his children's job. So we go from reading about the leaders, their tributes that they brought during the Mishkan, immediately we go to the mitzvah of Aaron Akoe and his commandment to light the menorah. And then for thousands of years in shuls across America, across the world, every Hanukkah, we read it over again. The mitzvah, the, 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 the sukkim of the Nesim's contribution to the Mishkan, followed by our Akoi's mitzvah to light the Menorah. So there's a famous Ramban that wonders, why is our own Akoi's commandment to light the Menorah right after the story of the Nesim's gifts to the Mishkan? What's the connection? What's the connection to the Nesim's gifts to the Mishkan? To Aaron HaKohen kindling the menorah in the mission. So the Ramban brings down a few midrashim that explains very beautifully that when Aaron HaKohen saw all of his peers, all these great people bringing these gifts, these matanos to the Mishkan, the Ramban says he had a halishas abdas, he was called to He felt sad. He felt like he was missing out. He felt disappointed. Why? Because our point was not able to contribute. He didn't have that Mishkan. He didn't have the opportunity to bring that gift to the Mishkan. So when he saw everyone else bringing these great, beautiful gifts to the Mishkan, also died so he felt bad. He felt sad. He felt disappointed. He was heartbroken over it. And the measure says that when Hashem saw 
that I don't have this sincere feeling of sadness over missing this opportunity to do a mitzvah of Hashem. Right after Hashem came to Aaron and said, guess what? You have something that's even greater than theirs. You have a contribution that's going to be even bigger, greater than their contribution. You're going to have the mitzvah of the menorah. You're going to have the commandment to kindle the menorah, the mishkan, and in that way, you're going to surpass what they've accomplished, and therefore, you don't need to feel so disappointed. Your share is bigger than their share, and that's why, said the Ramban, we read the mitzvah of Aaron's kindling those lights right after the story of the Nisim. But the Ramban still goes on to question this. Because the Ramban wonders, if Hashem wanted to comfort Aaron, the high priest, for missing out on a mitzvah, why did he focus in on the mitzvah of lighting the menorah? We know that Aaron was a high priest. He walked into the Holy of Holies. He had many other karbanos. He had many other great contributions to the Mishkan that seemingly far surpassed the mitzvah of lighting the menorah. So why is Hashem zeroing in on the commandment of the menorah? What's so special about kindling those lights that was Hashem's focus to comfort Aaron because he missed that mitzvah? Focus on something else. Focus on the Ketores. Focus on the other karbanos. Focus on the Kavosh HaKadoshim. Focus on Yom Kippur. There's so many other mitzvahs that Aaron had. What's special about the menorah? So the Ramban explains very beautifully. He says that actually Hashem was not pointing to Aaron's own service in the Mishkan at that moment in time. But what Hashem was telling Aaron Akoe, he was saying that you are going to start a movement of lighting the menorah in the Mishkan that's going to continue far after you're gone in the first base on Mikdash and the second base on Mikdash. And even after the base on Mikdash is destroyed, guess what, Aaron? There's going to be a mitzvah, a yantuk of Hanukkah, where Jews around the world, every single kislev, they're going to pull out their little menorahs, they're going to put them right by the window, and they're going to continue to light those very same flames. And he was saying, Aaron, what you have accomplished far surpasses anything else because what you can do on an individual level, that's one thing. That's one great accomplishment on the world. But what you can accomplish for Kal Yisrael as a whole, for people around you, if you can start doing a mitzvah that will catch, that will inspire others, that will cause them to continue to act in the same way as you, that's a greater schos than anything you can do in the Mishkan on your own. Yes, the Aramak Cohen had many mitzvahs, but individual personal mitzvahs, individual accomplishments. But Hashem was pointing to the menorah because the menorah had an impact on everyone around him, an impact that lasted for generations and generations to come, and still today, with the menorah that we're going to continue to light in about a few days. I think there's a very important lesson there. We can learn from this Ramban, and we can learn from Hashem's comfort to our Nakoe, that many times we get wrapped up in our own abode, our own spirituality, our own pursuit of Torah and mitzvahs, our own learning, our own sedarim, of which Aaron Cohen had a lot of, but what Hashem was telling us, the greatest measure of person's success, it's not necessarily what you accomplish on an individual basis, but it's the impact and inspiration that you leave upon other, others. That's your greatest chus in this world. This world is not all about me, myself, and I, my own Torah, my own mitzvahs, but our greatest contribution to this world is the impact that we leave on those around us. When we give to others, when we inspire others, when we change others to begin to live their life in a certain way, in a way that will last for many, many generations, that's the greatest merit in this world. 
And yes, Aaron, of course, he had his own phenomenal mitzvahs, but Hashem was saying, look at the menorah. That's a mitzvah that's going to go far beyond you. That's a mitzvah that's going to inspire others for many, many generations. And that was the greatest comfort that Hashem could tell Aaron Look what you're going to do for generations to come. You did a mitzvah that's going to affect everyone. Rabbi Yitzhak Balaja, the son of Chaim Balaja, he wrote his introduction to Nehemiah Chaim. And if he didn't write these words, I don't know if we could say something like this on our own. He said that he heard from his father, Lo le'atzmo nivra. A person was not created for themselves. Ella l'hoel achrini. But we were created to help others. We were not created for our own life. But the very essence of why we are here is to help others spiritually, emotionally, physically, in any way possible, he says. We should go the whole coco to help other people because the very essence of our time here on earth is about doing for others. That's what it means to emulate Hashem. We've created the Tzalem Elohim. What does it mean to be created that Tzalem Elohim? To emulate Hashem, Hashem is the ultimate giver. Hashem is the ultimate doer for others. And that's why Aaron was being comforted with the mitzvah of the menorah. Because Hashem was telling him, your greatest contribution to this world is helping other people do mitzvahs, impacting other people positively, bringing more Torah and mitzvahs to others, the greatest chus we could ever have. And I think that's why when we talk about the mitzvah of menorah, there's a word in halacha called presume nisa. Why are we lighting the menorah? To be fire saying the nates, to spread around the glory of Hashem. There's actually halacha. If you're in your house alone, you should try to wake up other people around before you do the mitzvah of the menorah because you want other people to experience the impact of your mitzvah because it's not all about you, but it's the impact of everyone else in the home and everyone else around you, and putting it on the street so everyone else out there can see as well. That's the essence. That's how to ignite the eternal flame of Hanukkah, is by recognizing that it's our job to help others. And I think with this concept, we can understand there's very, very difficult measures. There's a measure that says that at the end of Moshe Rabbeinu's life, he gathered around Kali Yisrael together, all of his students, and he said, And he said, I want to thank you. Can you imagine? He calls everyone out of their tents. He gathers them in front and says, you know what? I want to thank you. I want to give you a Yashar Koach. I want to thank you and your children that you kept the Torah, that you listened to me. I want to thank you for listening to the Ten Commandments. I want to thank you for putting on this building and lighting Shabbos candles. I want to thank you for keeping the laws of Kajas. I want to thank you for putting up with me and listening to all of my speeches throughout the 40 years of the desert. The measure says that thousands of years later, one of the Tanayu, he gathered his students as well at the end of a long shear, and he said, gathered Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Lazar, and he said, you know what? I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being my students, for listening to me today. I want to thank you for listening to the shir. So, first of all, I don't know if I've ever been thanked by a rabbi or Rebbe before for showing up. <laughs> Most are there. And it's nice to thank your Talmudin as well, your students as well. But they, asked, they actually asked the Rebbe, they said, why are you thanking me? Why are you thanking us? We should be thanking you. You're the Rebbe. We're the students. So it's amazing what he told them. He said that, no, actually, I do need to thank you. Why do I need to thank you? He said, because look at Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu thanked his students. You want to know why? He says, Moshe knows no one greater than Moshe Rabbeinu on an individual level. He spoke to Hashem face to face. 
There's nothing that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have on his religious resume. And he thanked him because Moshe Rabbeinu understood, Had Moshe Rabbeinu not been successful in impacting his students, in inspiring people around him, says the Medrash, all of Moshe's individual accomplishments would have been worth very little. All of his Torah, all of his mitzvahs. If he wouldn't have had the impact upon his community, had he not spent his life working for others, his Torah would have been worth very little. And that's why this Tata said, if Moshe Rabbeinu has to thank his Talmudim, because if Moshe Rabbeinu's greatest accomplishment in this world is tied into the impact we have on our community, our friends, and our family, then al kam. How much more so us do we have to recognize that it's our job here to help others? And when we have the opportunity to help somebody else, we should say thank you. Because that's why we're here on this earth. It's like the kind of love said, not for ourselves, it's for others. So of course, you think of the image of a usher, of a wealthy person giving tzedakah to the audience, they should be thanking the poor because their entire essence is to be able to give. Our entire essence to help other people grow, spiritually, physically, in any way possible, any chesed. And that's what exactly the message that Hashem was telling Aaron, he was telling him, your greatest mitzvah, the greatest comfort is that you're starting a mitzvah, a Hanukkah, of lighting a menorah that's going to exist for generations to come. We don't live within ourselves. We're not supposed to live in a vacuum. We're supposed to live in groups where we can inspire each other and give to each other and help each other grow. Even for our most spiritually accomplished people in our history, like Moshe Rabbeinu, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, Ravina, Ravashi, the Beis Yosef, Rabbi Chaim Elijah, the Chavetz Chaim, if they would not have found ways to help other people in their life and to impact others, lo shavaklom, because their responsibility is to help others and to find other people in their life to get involved in building a community, helping other members of our community, helping our friends, our family. That's the essence. Of our time and our heart here on earth. And every person can help build a foundation for other people. You invite one family over one time, you're inspiring a family forever. You become friends with somebody in the community, you're raising that person up for generations to come. Doing a chesed is helping the future of Kalisra. And we say over, you just coming to shul to daven to learn is becoming a positive influence on the entire future of our city. You're directly building Torah like Aaron Aquin for the next generation. And you don't understand the impact that you may be having. You see people that are slept, schlepping around tables and chairs and setting up for a shear. It's not just this generation. This is changing Dori Doris. Because forever the impact is here. There are people that come to the side room of Kola to come learn something. And even if it's just one person, even if you've just helped one person, you've called one friend and say, you know, let's go learn. Let's go hear a shear. Let's go down there. That alone is a generational effect. They say over a story. I heard the story in the name of Rav Shlomo Hyman. His yard side was just a week ago. They think it said over another gedolim as well. But I heard it in the name of Rav Shlomo Hyman. It could be as true about other people. Also. It was a snowy day and he was a Rashiva. And he showed up to Shir. He made the trek through the snow, ready to give his discourse. And one student showed up. One student. So he got up there and he gave the shear 
And it said over that he gave it over with his just passion and his just emotion, his just fire, as if he was speaking to hundreds and hundreds of people. So that when the shear was over, the student went over to the Shalom and the Rebbe, he said, you know, it's just me. You know, I enjoyed it. It was nice, but you weren't speaking to an entire tequila. Speaking to one person, you know, you could have toned it down a little bit. <laughs> so you know what he responded to him? He said, I wasn't just talking to you. I wasn't just talking to one person. I was talking to thousands of people. You, your children, every person you become in contact with, every person you influence in your life, you're going to go into a business, you're going to become your own father, your own children, you're going to have other people around you, you're going to be part of a shul. Every person that you're going to inspire, I'm talking to them as well. Because when I change one person, you're changing generations and generations of yidin. Positive. So you think back to ourselves now, it's not so hard to emulate our Apple. He started the menorah that lasted for generations. We can find ways to lift other people up. And when you look at that one person, you should recognize you're changing generations of colleagues in a tremendous way. It's your most valuable to help another person. You help one person, you're influencing thousands. And just being involved, just being involved in a shul and a community and a call like this, you're doing more than you ever realize. I want to just conclude with a with a, with a Devar Torah that my father used to say over all the time. It's one of my favorites. We just read over the story of Yaakov Vino meeting Rachel Imenu at the well in the city of Haran. And we know there were other shepherds there, they were standing there. But the Medrash points out, Bo Mabe Shunos the Shunos. The major says, come and see the difference between certain communities and other communities. Come behold the difference between cities and cities. Come see the difference of character traits of Midos between some shuls and other shuls. Come see how some communities, some cities, some neighborhoods have Midos, Tobos, while others have Midos, Rubs. Because look at the difference, says the Medrash. Let's compare Midian to Haran. Haran where Rachel Imenu visited the well, the local shepherds, they spoke to her with respect. They spoke to her with their inheritance. They spoke to her with cover. As opposed to when we have a very similar story, when Moshe Rabbeinu came to the well in Midian, what were the shepherds there trying to do? The Torah tells us the shepherds there tried to hurt the women there. They tried to molest them. The shepherds there had no morality. And the Metra says, go, go, look at the difference between Haran, where the shepherds, the farmers had respect, and Midian, where they did not. And what was the difference between Haran and Midian? How did it happen that the Haran shepherds excelled in their Midos in such a profound way while the Midian shepherds were such low lights? The Marazu says there was one difference separating them. Who lived in Haran? Abram Abim. Avram Avinu lived in Haran, and says the Marzu, the the entire city learned from Aaron, from Avram Avinu's way of life. They learned from Avram and Sarah's MS, their Midos, the fear of God, and therefore Haran was forever changed with respect and eretz, while Midian remains a proverbial desert, no morality. So my father's Rebbe, Repentance Leibowitz, pointed out. So I really appreciate this amazing medrash. How many years had it been since Avram Avinu left Haran to this moment? 
I understand a person can have a shah, you know, you have an automobile right now in your city, you know, maybe we'll act with more direct tariffs. But how many years had it been since Avram Avinu left Haram? Pointed out the Rashiva, it had been 164 years. Over 160 years Avram Avinu had left, and yet, still, over 160 years later, there were farmers, non-Jewish farmers, non-Jewish shepherds who were still reaping the benefits of the Hashpah of that one man and that one woman in that city. Forever, they were changed. Hundred Over 160 years later, there were still people holding on to the influence of Avon and Sarah's way of life. We see from here the power of the Hashpah, how we don't even appreciate that what we do in a city, in a kahilah, in a community, in a shul, how many years that impact can last for. One family in a city living a life of Torah and mitzvot that represents moral, moral values of Musar Ashkafa, one family that's a positive family, Yerushalayim, one person coming, making time in the middle of the day to come learn Torah, that could be affecting St. Louis, not just for now, not just for tomorrow, hundreds of years down the road. When one person comes in and learns Torah, the Musar Ashkafa permeates the walls and it spreads out to every school and every store and every community, every man and woman has changed. When there's just a few doing the right thing. Every father and mother has changed. Every husband and wife have changed into different spouses. And that's a hashvah that will last for generations to come. And that's where we can see the difference between Haram and Midian, the power of one person. So when I look at this kolel, it's such an honor to be here. You see men and women being most nefesh to learn publicly learn Torah. And if a smedrish, I see a generational impact on our city. I see a sacrifice for Torah in a community that will go on for generations to come. The chesed, the camaraderie, the learning together, the chavura, this is something that will last for eternity. Every time you push yourself to come to a class to learn Torah, to help somebody else, you're helping, you're igniting an eternal flame that's going to last for generations to come. You're transforming the city in ways that you can never, ever imagine. Such a role model for me to see people coming to learn Torah. I heard over a story Rabbi Marcus in Queens. He said over about his father. He learned in yeshiva many years. He learned a lot about Torah, mitzvot, and midos. He said the greatest inspiration he ever had is when he took his first job and he got up to speak and he saw Balabatim after a long day's work coming and he saw their eyes light up when they heard words of Torah. Look at these people. They're thirsting for Torah. I said that taught them more about Abbas Hashem than anything they had learned before. That's not Shvah that we have by the fact that even such a kol exists. There are people thirsting for Torah, such a Abbas Hashem, such an Abbas Torah, something so special that we are so glad to have such an institution in our community. So you're changing everyone around you. This is why one of the reasons why Hashem created such an emphasis on community, on Akhtas, on Binyanim, on group learning, because it gives you an opportunity to inspire people around you, which is the essence of what we're alive. Remember, this is the comfort of Arako. Hashem comforted Arako not just with his own individual accomplishments, but he comforted him with a mitzvah that impacted him and everyone around him, mitzvah that lasts still today. Because the greatest comfort you can give to Tzad is to say, you're affecting people around you. And this is why Moshe Rabbeinu thanked his students at the end of his life. 
Because everything that Moshe accomplished individually paled into comparison what he accomplished in a community. To his Talmudim, to the next generation. And this is with the bracha that I give you all. You should continue to grow and learn, but not just own personal growth. You should continue to be mashpia on everyone else here around you. Be so to set the standard of what it means to have an appreciation for love, for Torah, and for mitzvot. It's Hashem, you should be not only to raise up University City, but the entire St. Louis. It's Hashem, you should have bracha, ameya, the Esther, shana. And thank you all for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. This is a good question, but I'm just wondering how does it work? How does this push pass work in the world? When you see, I one time I was. You ever, you ever go to what's it called? You ever go to a um? You ever go to a um? To a, I had a rabbi that one time told me, children like third and fourth graders or even younger, even preschool, early age childhood children. Every need that they have within themselves really exists in adults as well. We just get better at hiding. So if you see the way children act, that's the way we act as well. If you ever see a good teacher at a production and they're trying to get the children to do certain things in a certain way. So let's say they're there and have a play and they're lighting the menorah. So you'll see the person that's that's trying to, you know, the children, the teacher will be there lighting the menorah, then that will get them to do it as well. When you see, and that applies to adults as well, when you see somebody else doing something, it shows you what's possible. It teaches you what you're capable of. Because everybody has their own life and everybody's busy and everybody has challenges. But when you see somebody making time to learn, it tells me about myself, this is something that I can do as well. And if I would never saw someone else do it, I wouldn't have known that was even possible by me. But when you see, when you see the image of the teacher, or in this case, friends, being most unethical to do what's right, it has a profound effect upon every person because it shows me I'm capable of that. I can do that as well. I want to do that as well. This person has a lot going on in their life and they're doing what's right. I can at least take that inspiration, show me what I'm capable of as well. That's the way that this you know communal hashva has. Every person I see in the shul all the time in, in Chesterfield, every person that comes to share always has a ripple effect on one of their friends. It's okay, I'm coming, I'm taking out time on this afternoon. I can do that also. So that's the, the effect is so profound. You don't really, really see it, but you it's in reality, it's there. It's been there for generations. Every, every time you do something, someone else sees it, it makes it easier for them, and it gives them strength that they didn't have before to be able to accomplish those same things. Yes. First of all, names. I don't I feel bad. I don't know what was your name? Forty. So um the first time he lived with the Nora was on, was on Hanukkah. It was it was actually not on Hanukkah, but it was the it was the he got the mitzvah right after the Nisiyah. It was around it was it was probably a Misa, but it was not the but it was not uh, it was not actually on Hanukkah. But he started the mitzvah of the menorah, which eventually continued for generations through the Beis Hamikdash, through the time of the, of the miracle of Hanukkah, and then Hutzakon that the cause of that mitzvah. That's how he started it. But he, he lit it every day. He lit it every day. Yeah. So this was so so his reward was to do to do this mitzvah daily. Right. Which was such a huge thing. Right. Rather just for Hanukkah. Right. Right. But it's interesting because the Ramban says the nechama, the comfort, was not just the fact that he got to do it daily. It's saying you're asking a good question. Why didn't Hashem just comfort Aaron and say? 
They're just doing, they're, they, the Nassim, the princes, you know, the leaders, they're just getting this gift once. You're going to do something that's going to be every single day in the menorah. Why can we comfort him with that? He didn't say that, Hashem. Hashem said, no, no, no. That's one thing, but that's still your own individual accomplishment. But I'm going to comfort you with this, that even though you're doing this every day, and it's obviously more than that, the greatest comfort that you can have is to know that this is something that's impacting everyone around you. And it's going to last beyond you. Because he could have really told them, yeah, they're doing the carbon once, you're doing plenty of carbon once, many, many times. Because I think the point is, is that he wanted to show him, you're doing so much more than just your individual avota. Look what you're doing. You're starting a movement that's going to continue for generations. And I think that was the reason why that was the Nahama, that's the comfort that he, that he gave him. Great question. Yes? So this was before the actual events of Hanukkah. Thousands of years before, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So it wasn't at that point, like it wasn't in Hanukkah. No, it was actually, it didn't even look like our menorah. Yeah, <laughs> our menorah is a commemoration of that menorah, but yes. <laughs> Any other questions? Some oh, great questions. I just kind of wondered, um, yes. if, if uh, our idea is to spread, right now, I think people, there's, there's a lot of talk about people being concerned about putting their menorahs in the window and right. things like that. I'm just wondering if you've got any thoughts about that. Yeah, it's, it sounds to me that's not a lot, but nowadays we light it inside. We don't even light it outside anymore. Is there an active danger in St. Louis to put a menorah by a uh, window? I don't think so. Now, it's, we're, we're, already, we're, already, we're already blessed to be in America with this freedom of religion and uh, things like that. No, but but for sure, it happens to be, it's even in your own house, though. Even though you can't go out by a window. So that's why I, I mentioned you should, even in your own house, you should gather people around. You have some sort of element of spreading the you know, the faith of Hashem to not just yourself, but to other people as well. By the way, by the way, Allah, Allah, Maisa, anybody is the only in the house themselves you can select. It's just an extra. Yes. I was just saying that that something widened so much violently here in America, you can no longer say you'd be perfectly fine putting your nose on the Yeah. Yeah, it's a little scary. It's a little scary. Is yes. there a reason why the menorah should be at a certain level? Does the shvina come down to that? <laughs> I know I'm you're right. There is a reason. It's supposed yeah. to, the, the, actually, the best, the best, um, the best spot for a menorah okay. is above ten inches and below thirty-five inches. The reason why is because you want to make it clear that you're not lighting it for illumination. So usually, when a person lights, you put lights up high up. You know, we don't put it on the floor because that's maybe not the covenant, but we don't put it high up because we don't want it to be uh, to look like we're just doing it to light up the room. So it's actually supposed to be low and uh, a certain extent, but I've never heard that it's about where the shield comes from. Yeah, could be there's something to that, but I just never heard that. Yeah, it's supposed to be distinct. That's why also when you light the menorah, um, somebody told me that they light the menorah and then they turn off their lights and because it's so beautiful. You're actually not supposed to do that. Because then you're benefiting from the candles. You actually keep your lights on. It's supposed to be unique, but you're doing the menorah specifically for uh, for the mitzvah, for the for the nace. That was a nice idea. Turn off the lights. It's more beautiful. You actually not do that. <laughs> okay. Thank you all. Thank you all for coming here. It's really beautiful. Continue to continue to grow. Thank <laughs> you.